a terrifying clown is back to murder some people. And a, and a cartoon rabbit is on the run for murder in a weird film noir from the 80s where humans and cartoons exist in the same place. That's right, people. We're talking about Terrifier and Who Framed Roger Rabbit in the same episode? Because we have David Howard Thornton with us, none other than Arthur Clown on Overdue Rentals. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Overdue Rentals. I'm Matthew Shuckman. And I'm Cinema Blends Mike Reyes. And I don't think I have any anything really to add to that uh, introduction because, uh, frankly, I think I'm still processing Terrifier and Terrifier 2 in the back <laughs> of my mind. That's right, folks. I did them both in the same day. I, I got the t Oh, there should be a t-shirt for that. And I think we, we do mention a t-shirt. Uh, we mentioned a t-shirt concept later, but... Uh, <laughs> Seriously, what you're about to hear is one of the most fun episodes that we've done. And after doing 60 something episodes, which you can find wherever you ethically source your podcasts, I think that's that's saying a lot. And uh, yeah, I mean, look, there's we when we do this, a lot of times we're saying, oh, this person was in this movie. We want to talk about this movie. Let's do it. Sometimes, even though somebody may have a huge background in film that have like a hundred some odd credits we'll still say hey maybe they can choose a film they want to talk about and so we gave david the option to talk about a film and to our joy surprise i don't know what you want to call about it absolute chose, utter delight he, he chose who framed roger rabbit so we went from talking about art the clown the murdering uh sociopath from specifically with david uh terrifier and terrifier too because he was portrayed by a different person in all Hallows even shorts before that but uh you know, this was this was perfect for us, and so we're. I think we should just get David in here to start start doing this and let everybody hear what had to be said. Although I will say one thing before we get him in there, I wish I would have mentioned it in the interview. Both of these films prominently feature a hacksaw, or well, both of these franchises. Oh, gotcha. Okay, and I, 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 I got mind. lost for a second. I hear you. I hear you. And with that in mind, David Thornton, and David Thornton as Art the Clown, welcome to Overdue Rentals. Step right up. David, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. Lovely. Oh, to have thank you. you. Thank you for having me. That you know, it is funny too because yeah, the, the video store rental is 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 such a a thing of the past. But I think a lot yeah. of people know about it. Plus, we like to think about also about talking about movies that maybe people are overdue on seeing, which we mm. also love. Um, so we, we do our do our little double entendre thing. I like it. Talking about Mike's though, just point about about people recognizing you. That's the great thing though. Since you have to wear so much makeup, did you? If you didn't, if it was something where you could tell it was your face, would you have done yeah. this? I, yeah, I still would have. I mean, like, that's, that's You're just one of those man. things. Like, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> but that, it just goes with the territory. You just got to deal with it. You know, it's like, I, I think I look better with the makeup on anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just always amazed when someone actually does recognize me in public and it's not at a convention. That's, it's a rare occurrence, but uh, on, Sometimes I'm walking around somewhere in public and someone's like, oh my God, it's David Thornton. I'm like, how did you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you I, I've kind of enjoyed that Doug Jones type of anonymity because, you know, he's the guy that's always behind the makeup. Yeah. So a lot of people don't know what Doug really looks like. So he, he can walk around in public and not get harassed. I wonder if that's still true anymore now, especially just because he returns to so many of these characters. Like he was in Hocus Pocus 2 recently mm -hmm. and- you know, every, obviously everyone knows him as Billy Butcherson now, as well oh, as yeah. he's you know, on Star Trek. And But there was like that good stretch where it's like, oh, Doug Jones is in here. Man, I'd, I'd really like to see that guy someday. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And he's just the nicest guy, too, if you ever get to meet him. He's definitely seemed it in all the, the stuff I've seen. Yeah. But definitely talking to you right now after, uh, I, I don't know about Matthew, but I binged both Terrifiers to prepare for this. Oh boy. <laughs> now is like a very like sort of hearing teller for the first talk for the first time. <laughs> you do so much with pantomime in these movies. Yeah. And I I have to say watching Terrifier and Terrifier 2, I saw why horror fans latched onto this whole thing because it almost feels like watching Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street like for the first time, like seeing something that people are really catching on to. Yeah. And then in Terrifier 2, seeing it build into where is it going to go? Where has it come from? And it's just really interesting. It's That's definitely something we we're going for is that old, like, you know, slasher movie vibe that those movies had because they, 
they, they were fun slashers, but they also had really fun characters, like, especially the villains in them. It was just like there's something, there's so much personality to them, especially Freddy. Oh my God, Freddy and Chucky, they yeah. just ooze yes. personality. And that's what was kind of cool about art is he's like such a, a mishmash of all those characters. He has that silent nature of like Jason and Mike Myers, but he also has that charisma that Freddy had and Chucky had that just very sarcastic, funny charisma. And I think that's probably why he latched on with people. It's just like, that's something that's been just absent from horror movies for the past decade or so. And it's, I, I, I'm kind of envious of horror fans, you know, being able to watch these films because, you know, I, I know what all is going to happen when we're making them. So it's like, it's, I, I kind of miss that whole feel of finding a new horror, you know, icon to latch on to like I, I remember like my first time watching the original like nightmare on elm street movie and like oh my god this is so much fun i love this character so much so it's like i i kind of envious of you guys getting that experience again <laughs> well I was, I was gonna say we're talking about as art as an icon because he really has become pretty much the new current and modern icon and your version specifically because i think a lot of people only first saw i think terrifier maybe not mike's versions beforehand yeah you know so but you get to relish though in that fact that you are that new icon it's it's still like silking into my brain still that that's what's going on because i still see myself as just this geek from alabama <laughs> so i'm like I still live in a little crappy little New York apartment with two roommates. So I'm, I'm hoping part two is going to give me enough fun so I can get out and get my own place now, get my own palace to art. I guess <laughs> say. But, but it's like, yeah, it's, I, I'm still myself. So it's kind of when we're at, you know, conventions and I, I have people that are shaking when they come up to get the photo op with me or come meet me at my table. I'm like, I'm just me. Yeah. <laughs> that's when you just that's when you shoot them like some weird glares and just like make them think maybe, maybe, maybe I am art. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I do that from time to time. I like to mess with people, especially when I'm in full costume and makeup. I, I, I have fun going down the line and in the lobbies and stuff like that. Just <laughs> messing around with people. That's, you got to do that. <laughs> Just reminds me of this old clip that I ran into a while back. Uh, short story, I promise. Uh, <laughs> back in my like office job, two professional lives, or no, one professional life back. I <laughs> loved video, like trailer reels from VHSs, or even if I was lucky to find them, promo videos for like v for like rental stores. It's oh like, yeah. This is a story he's told a few times on the podcast, just so you know, David. I think I have, <laughs> but you may need to go back and listen to some episodes to really, to really get the feeling. Yeah. But one of them was, I think it was for Nightmare on Elm Street 3 or 4. It was like a sales video promoting the movie. Mm. And one of the clips they showed was Robert England on the Joan River show. And it's just, you know, you see Bob England out of the makeup and it's just him. And then all of a sudden he puts on the glove and he's like, don't leave home without it. And all of a sudden in that moment, you knew it was Freddy. Like yeah. one moment, it's just, oh, Robert Engel, this guy looks cool. And like, all it took was that mannerism, that line, and it was it. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I love watching that kind of transformation. Also talking about though, what you were saying earlier about the idea that you wish you could be us witnessing these things, because you know what art's going to do once you read the script. Mm -hmm. After the first Terrifier, and after what a lot of people will consider is like, you know, again, the current modern, you know, go-to scene of, song somebody in half um <laughs> that's putting it mildly <laughs> yeah are you prepared for like it's like hey so what could we possibly do in this one before you actually saw the script yeah that was that that was definitely a high bar that we we set for ourselves with the first film we're like oh god did we did we screw ourselves over by going being too ambitious from the start but I, I think that it encouraged us to get a lot more creative with the kills in part two and that's, it's really hard to come up with creative kills now because so much has already been done. Damien and I would spitball ideas back and forth. Of course, usually it's him and he'll just bounce stuff off me. Hey, what do you think of this? <laughs> and I would sometimes say, hey, I got an idea. And he's like, oh yeah, that was done in this movie. And I'm like, ah, son of a <laughs> <laughs> like, How do we find something new and creative? But I'm like, I, I think he really took that task to heart for part two especially the biggest kill in the the, the movie um 
COVID kind of helped us out with that one because we had started filming it. Then COVID made us go into lockdown for a few months mm. here in New York. And he took that as time to like revamp the, the kill and really build a lot of cool prosthetics that he wasn't going to be able to do in the first place. It was, so he, he's like, hey, let's just, you know, swing for the fences with this kill and go all in on it versus what was actually written in the script. And I'm like, cool, let's do this. And he, he really got a lot of inspiration from a real world things. Like uh, for this kill in particular, he found inspiration from one of Jack the Ripper's victims uh, from a crime scene photo of like this just horribly disfigured woman on a bed. And he basically is like, okay, that's the end point, but let's deconstruct that and see how we could get to that point. And that was, that was his inspiration for the bedroom scene in part two. Yeah, end point with a little bit of a twist for people who when they see it. Yeah. There's a couple yeah. twists in that scene. <laughs> oh, it's just horrible. It's a horrible scene. It's hard. It's so mean. And that's why I'm like, oh, we got to do something in the middle of this so people just don't want to, you know, slit their wrists and be done with their lives because it's so brutal so we had to add a little levity halfway through it so <laughs> that's what excites me about terrifier though is the fact that to really what the sort of act of rebellion or the act of freshness is that horror movies don't really go this hard anymore yeah this used to be the sort of thing where you you know the box art you saw that box art and it would pop up on hbo or you would rent the tape and it was just gore soaked and you really <laughs> didn't care how real it looked, but at the same time, it looked pretty damn real. And yeah, that's of course, because of all the practical effects, which is another thing that's just wonderful. But what what is perhaps the, what was the hardest kill for you in either of the films mm -hmm. to get to like, where was it, what was the one where it was like, oh, okay, I need to brace myself for this. <laughs> I would say it was the hack scene, uh, the, hack, the hacksaw scene, the, oh. that's what I'm saying. yeah, because, that was, it was brutal in itself just to film because we were really hanging Catherine Corcoran upside down. And it was like 20 degrees in that room that night because there was no heat in there. It's the middle of January in New York and it's dangerous to do that. So we only could film at 30 seconds at a time because we didn't want her hanging upside down for more yeah. than 45 seconds. And it's so dangerous to do that to somebody. And so that was... There, that was not a fun scene to do that night because it was just so serious and she's you know in such a compromised position and so uncomfortable and there was no joking around it was just a very serious night for all of us and it, it took a few hours to get through it and we finally did it and it was just like wow this is going to be something else when we get to edit all this together and put it in front of an audience this is this is going to change things you know, apart from again going into thinking about what can we up the ante on the kills and 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 number two and so on and so forth. Now, of course, I, I you know I don't I doubt we're ever going to get or we need like an art backstory to find out how he got this way. But there is more fleshing out necessarily into the idea of the supernatural background a little bit yes. more to what's going on. Were you kind of then also surprised for like where the story is building out instead of just being let's just go we just got to see him do his thing. Do we really mm -hmm. need all this back? Uh, well, not backstory, but all this extra little tidbits. Oh, yeah. I was very surprised. Damien really went full hog into world building in part two. It's like, you know, I know that was one of the criticisms we had in part one. So there's not enough character development, not a mm. lot of world building, you know, not a lot of plot. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to give you guys that in spades in part <laughs> two. And he, he, you know, like adds more questions than he answers them. You know, so, so that it's, there's so much more mystery being built into this universe. And he, he went not just supernatural, he went to fantasy elements as well, which you don't really see a lot in slashers. And mm. there's a lot of unanswered questions um, deliberately that way, because we're like, oh, you know, we can't just, you know, show our hand all at once. You know, we want to keep building this up into, you know, a franchise and, future films so but I, i'm very interested to see where things are going to go because he's keeping some things close to the vest i i've theorized some things to him he's like oh that's a fun idea but he <laughs> won't tell me if i'm right or not and because he wants to surprise me as well because he, he i think he likes that aspects when i come in to read the script he, he likes to see how i react to things it, 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 he did a lot of that in part two where i'm sitting there and go oh my god oh this this and i was like okay i got a question about this character and this character and how this he's like well we'll, we'll get to that eventually i'm like oh i hate you <laughs> <laughs> I, I also like now. the fact that 
because so many people talk about how art not only is, you know, basically miming, but like you literally hear nothing from mm -hmm. him. But there is there is a spit sound in this one. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, that's that's even even that's just like, oh, okay. So we hear him spit. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just him spitting. There's yeah. it's like the, the, I think the reason we put the spit sound in there, it was hard to tell that he was spitting mm. <laughs> without the sound. It's like it because that you know that how it's shot it's just a little hard to see spit coming out of someone's mouth because it happened so quickly so we had to put that sound effect of the spit in there but i have to comment on the spit that lauren did that okay. she did that in one take and um <laughs> she'd never really done a spit and she's never spit before so she they had to give her spitting lessons and then they also told me that you know that we're going to count down from three and she's going to spit on three and they, they did a, a, a die hard on me where they told me that she was going to go on three, but she went on two so they could get a real reaction of me. And so I didn't anticipate the, 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 the hit in the face. And boy, she did it in one take and it was great. <laughs> so 20 you years from now, all the, all the internet oh. videos will be talking about David got a two count on that one. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> So the Hans Gruber moment there. So I was just like, <laughs> with him falling off the tower, you get that real reaction of fear from him. You got the real reaction of going, oh God, <laughs> from me. And of course now we have, uh, we have a quotable, it'll be in the quotable dialogue section of IMDb. It's like, spit, Art the Clown. Terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> it's practically a t-shirt. Yeah, yeah, you know. Now, before we switch gears, do you happen to know if there is a Terrifier 3 or 4 already written or in the works? Because if mm -hmm. I know my horror history correctly, the next one won't have Art the Clown in it, and the fourth <laughs> one will take us to space. <laughs> I just want to confirm these. I want to get this before anyone else gets it. Yeah, yeah, we definitely want to do a part three. I mean, we leave that cliffhanger there at the end during the credits, you know, with Whoa. Jericho. So I was yeah, like, that, you know, yeah, that, spoiler alert any more questions than answers jesus <laughs> yeah it's like oh my god i mean you gotta have me fight chris jericho now so i'm like that's i can only imagine how nuts that's gonna be i i have no idea what damien has in store for that but i'm like oh my god i gotta do that at least but yeah he he's told me he, he at least has another film or possibly two films it just depends where he's gonna go with part three he might have to stretch that into two films so it's just like he's got ideas so i'm very interested to see what he's coming up with but yeah we're definitely doing a part three no doubt terrifier mocking jay part one and two i like it yeah <laughs> but obviously we here on overdue rentals like to bring the past back to light just as terrifier 2 has brought some of the past back to light because we do get some overlap with terrifier one. Oh yes but you you practically gave me a gift here because mm -hmm. i think who framed roger rabbit Technically, I have my own reasons for why it counts as an overdue rental. But to start mm -hmm. us off, David, why do you think Roger Rabbit is an overdue rental? I it's my favorite movie of all time, first of all, and it's um, I think it has everything I love in a movie in it. It's got great romance. It's got great comedy. It has cartoons. It's got great musical numbers. It's got that you know fun detective film noir element to it but also has horror in it as well it has plot twists it has everything that i want to see in a movie and i i love that movie so much plus it also is the movie that got me interested in how movies were made because when they it came out they did a whole behind the scenes feature for an hour on tv and that, as a kid, I saw this, and I, I had never seen how movies were made before. And this is a great way to show how movies are made because you know you're you're, you're showing the, all these practical elements because this is before CG, so all of this was done with practical elements. They are you're having to interact with things that aren't there, but they're doing a lot of puppetry work, like with the weasels' guns or real guns, so they're having to like you know fly these things around on wires. And I, I thought that was amazing. But that's also how I found out about voice actors with Mel Blanc did all those voices for Looney Tunes. And that inspired me as a kid because I was already starting to discover I could do a lot of mimicry. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's one guy doing Bugs Bunny and mm -hmm. Daffy and all these other characters. I'm like, I want 
to do something like that too. So I, that's what inspired me to start really learning how to do character voices. So like Roger Rabbit just had such a profound effect on my whole entire trajectory in life. So that's why I love that movie so much. It's, it's funny too, because I've said this a few times before on the podcast, but there's that thing where nowadays people who are discovering stuff like this or discovering movies that came out before, just like you said, before CG, mm-hmm. they still call it CG. It's like any special effect is CG to them. And mm-hmm. it, it feels so strange because not only was this movie so revolutionary, because granted, you know, we had humans and, and cartoon characters, you know, since like the 30s technically, but not to this level, of course. Yeah. But there's so much going on in this movie. And then again, you have now the the world that is obsessed with the Marvel universe and the idea of like, oh, you know, the Avengers Endgames, the greatest conglomeration of all these characters ever before is like, I don't think people today realize the impact of seeing Daffy and Donald Duck yeah. in the same movie, basically doing a piano duel together and how big that was for the time. Oh, it was huge. It was huge because you had never had Warner Brothers, Harvey Toons, and Disney work together on something like that. And there were so much negotiations they had to do behind the scenes with between those, especially Warner Brothers and Disney. It's like the scenes between Daffy and Donald and Mickey and Bugs, they had to have equal screen time, equal amount of lines, yeah. all that. No, no one could be above the other. And I, it's like the, the finesse work they had to go through was amazing for that. You know, for the, it could never be done today. It would, it's like this, this movie could not be made today and be nearly as great as it is. Well, funny you mentioned that. I actually got to talk to Akiva Schaefer about the Chippendale Rescue Rangers movie that came out. Yeah. And the writers. And, and I, uh, uh, I think it was Dan Mand and Doug Greger. I may have switched the last names on the writers, and I do apologize, gentlemen. But they were even talking about how even making Chippendale today, mm-hmm. every character was a separate negotiation. They had yeah. pitches. And even, even just little things, like I never thought I'd see a South Park character in a disney movie yeah senator butthead is a reference (laughs) in a disney movie and again it's it's just amazing what they had to go through yeah get woody woodpecker and chilly willy and scurry squirrel like even just references i'm sure were a a nice check that was written out to someone oh you know it and it lands and it does they're standing they're already standing on the shoulders of one sequence in mary poppins which yeah. is like that's that was basically the template for this, or bed knobs and broomsticks as well. Yes, mm. or even Tom and Jerry with a uh, yes, yeah, anchors away, anchors away. Yep. Yeah, with Gene, with Gene Kelly. Yeah, just they're standing yep. on the shoulders of such, such brilliance. It's like, okay, what if we did a whole movie like this? Yeah. What if we base it on this book that is definitely that's not nothing no, has nothing not to do with has nothing to do with the book that too and why don't we kill off our lead character wait you know what no no we're not going to do that okay sting sting sorry you wrote the song i know but we're not going to do it anymore yeah oh so good it's just <laughs> everything <laughs> talk about this movie makes me even more in love with it and i've been watching yeah. this on like an almost regular basis since i first rented it as a kid mm-hmm and every time I watch it, I see something I had never seen before in it too. And I've watched that movie over, you know, 20, 30 times and I'm still discovering new things. Like I love always pointing out with the, the train when it goes by after it hits the dip mobile at the end of the movie. And every single window in that train, if you pause it, there's a different murder scene happening in silhouette. Okay. It's, yeah. I'll go back. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's insane. Every single window is a different murder scene. But that's also like again, I know we talked about, you know, it, it is technically it was a it was promoted for kids. It's technically a family-friendly film. And even though it's not as dark as maybe the novel was, I think what's even funnier about it is that I, I read that the only actual piece of dialogue that got transferred over from the book is Baby Herman basically making a dick joke. Yep. And that's the one thing <laughs> that you transfer over into your kid-friendly film. I love it. A 30-year-old man and a three-year-old dinky. Yep, I love 40 year that. 40-year-old man. I love that. Like I got a four, it's like 40-year-old lust or 50-year-old lust in a three-year-old dinky. Yeah. It's just like, that's great. It's like Baby Herman, what they got away with with that character is like, as there's also like in the very beginning of the film, after they cut from the cartoon and into live action, when Baby Herman's storming off set, you freeze frame it where he goes under the woman's skirt 
you see him come out with his fingers up in the air and there's moisture on his fingers. Oh it's just like, oh my God, because the woman goes, what? When he goes under. It's like, it's even, holy. What's even funnier too is again, while rewatching it to prepare for this, I noticed the only warning is graphic smoking or something like that. It's only yeah. talks about smoking <laughs> is the only like warning that it gives you when you're watching yeah. it on Disney Plus. Yeah. <laughs> yes, folks, this film is available on Disney Plus and was also the the inspiration for three different theatrical shorts, or at least I think two of them went theatrical. Yeah. This was in the theme parks, like it was in MGM Studios for a while until it was removed. Roger yeah. Rabbit, what, I, another thing people don't remember is this was a huge Disney property. I have pictures yes. of myself, my brother and myself as a kid at Disney World in all yeah. like the, the taxi and everything with that with the scars yep. falling back. Like there's still I, the ride in, in Disneyland, yes. but they removed it from MGM Studios. There, there was like, again, there were specials. There was plans for a sequel. Yeah. And like various plans for a sequel. And then you go back a couple of years ago and Robert Zemeckis in an interview was like, yeah, Disney's not too keen on Roger Rabbit anymore. And there were some of those sequel ideas were, and there was a prequel also. There were some really good mm -hmm. ideas out there. Oh yeah. They had great ideas. It just never came to fruition. But that's the thing. It's like, I, I don't think even if they made a sequel, it would not have the same magic as the original it's just like that's just one of those things and i hope to god no one ever tries to remake it would you be interested in seeing them do like a, a version of the actual novel that would be interesting but it still wouldn't be as good as the original there's just yes. no way there's no way that almost feels like it opens itself up to too many compared yeah. to to not well, only they, the, the novel itself but also the, the original film yeah in, in the other books they even say that the, the first novel was a dream so. Yeah, well, it like I think he wrote a second one. He tried to tie it into the actual yeah. movie, right? Yeah, I think there were two more. Really? Yeah, it's, it has a few of them, like two or three of them. Yeah, and of course now and another like the most that Disney has touched the property is apparently uh, the Roger Rabbit ride in Disneyland is now mm -hmm. being refurbed so that way Jessica has you know a stronger role. She's more of a detective figure instead of just being you know kidnapped by the weasels. Yeah. And it's like you care enough to do that, but you don't care enough to maybe bring another one or like do something with it. Like, yeah. Shorts. Just really the shorts. Like the shorts were great. Oh, like Tummy Trouble and what was that? Uh, trail Mix the, Up the, and Trail Mix Up and the Roller Coaster Rabbit. Yeah. Which I think mm -hmm. all three of them are on the, the home video release. Yeah. They should. Yeah. They, they should be there. The extras on Disney Plus. Yeah. They're great. They're great shorts. Yeah, I mean, it's just good old fashioned, it's old fashioned Looney Tunes stuff right to the point where it still butts up against that that barrier between what are the kids going to get, yeah. what are the mm -hmm. adults going to get. Well, that's, again, watching this as a kid, you know, granted, you know, I, I grew up in, in the time of Super Mario Brothers, but Bob Hoskins, to me, is where I first learned about him was Who Framed Roger Rabbit, yeah. and that's, like, becomes a world to me now, and granted, there's much more things I love Bob Hoskins from now, but they introduced me to a lot of stuff beyond just the the fun the fun side as a kid. The maroon yeah. interrogation. That's all. Oh I my god. Maroon interrogation, and then the the second right before that, where he's in the theater, and it's just that moment where he puts everything together and he yells, "That's it! That's yep. the connection!" And it's just that's that whole portion is lightning. And like, if you didn't know who he was before that moment, that was it. Mm -hmm. It's it's a like I say, it's a perfect film. It's it's just a perfect film. It's. It, it doesn't get the love it deserves. And it, it drives me crazy. Like I, I've, there's so many people I know that have never seen that movie. I'm like, oh my God. It's that, and that's weird to me. It's also yeah. weird to me now thinking that, I didn't even think about this until we started talking about it because this, it is a film noir. And I wonder if that's where my love of film noir came from. I never mm -hmm. thought about it. Oh, yeah. I know it's where mine came from. I know a hundred percent. That was, that was the start. And then LA Confidential just helped me Damn. go further. Yep. I think that's also where my love of redheads came from too. So <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of things that Roger Rabbit awoke in people. Let's yeah. not let's yeah, not like lie here. Second grade me is like I'm feeling things. <laughs> <laughs> this is both like where I expected to talk with Art the Clown to go and where I expected to talk with Art the Clown not to go. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, that's, yeah. you never know what you're going to get with any of this. No, but nope. still, just yeah. <laughs> I do actually, I, if it's okay with everybody, I did. I forgot. I wanted to ask one thing going back to Terrifier real quick before we wrap no, it up. No, it's not but okay. I'm sorry, no. Mike. Well, it's going to happen. 
fine. <laughs> you know, I'm, you you are an actor and you've had training, but I'm wondering where all your training went back to because this is such a mime heavy role mm -hmm. and performance. Did you actually have all that training prior to, or is it something that you had to pick up or just it's natural? It's, uh, it's something I've just worked on my whole entire life. I was never professionally trained in it. I just... I'm, I'm a love of, I have a lifelong love of physical comedy. And so I grew up watching those great physical comedians back then. And also a lot of cartoons. I love cartoons. And it's like it, Damien tells people, yeah, David's basically just a giant cartoon character come mm. to life. And that's, that's just how I am. It's like, it's, those are the things I think are funny. I, I love physical comedy and like Mr. Bean, especially a huge influence on me. It's just like, I've always wanted to play a character like Mr. Bean, like that, that silent mischievous character. And now I get to do it in a cool way. And it's so easy to just, as, as an observer, just see art straddling the line between really funny and really creepy because there's that scene yeah. in two where he's just standing in, in, in the, the costume shop and he's got the horn. And then, yeah. and then she's like, don't, don't. That's some of, that's, I think that's some of my favorite <laughs> stuff is where it's not necessarily the mm -hmm. actual horror stuff, but it's just like the really funny, let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I have done that actual horn thing to people in real life, and they've had that same reaction. It was like, don't, don't. I did that to one of my security guys at a convention. He's a big mountain of a man. He is afraid of clowns. We're in the elevator together. And I had him backed into the corner. I was just slowly raising the horn just like that to him, waiting for the elevator to open up in the lobby so I could honk the horn into space. And he freaked. He just, ah! <laughs> screamed everybody just starts laughing I'm like that's what i wanted that's the exact reaction i won david thank you so much for your time it was a pleasure having you here we'll do it again sometime hopefully of course guys this is fun i love this <laughs> oh, and, and we love you doors always open thanks again and again ladies and gentlemen remember spit art the clown terrifying <laughs> have a good one take care you guys y'all have a great night and ladies and gentlemen David Howard Thornton, uh, a total sweetheart of a guest. Yes. Especially when compared to, well, even the, I would say compared to Art the Clown, but even Art the Clown is just, he's one of those horror icons like, like he had mentioned Chucky, but also yeah, yeah. like Freddy Krueger, where it's this, this concept of a character where it rides that line between, oh, I really am afraid of you. And I think I could actually hang out with you. Well, I don't know if I think I can hang out with well, Art the Clown, well, but he's got- he's you get used to the hacksaws with, and the, the ripping well, people. With no, with no dialogue, he's still quippy. We'll put it that way. Oh yeah, that's like very like, uh, David's mentioning physical comedy and, and you know, that's, that's a very, he's a very Harpo Mark sort of character, especially with the horn. Like yeah, yeah. The, the horn gag in Terrifier too. Again, it's just that, that point where it's like, you know, that it's going to turn into something serious, something scarier, like more of a jump. But at the beginning, it's just that really funny moment that takes you off guard. Well, you know, it's, that's the thing about more so Terrifier 2, or at least going back to Terrifier 1 after seeing Terrifier 2 and know where they're kind of going story-wise, is that even more so now, it just like makes you think about how art interacts with the world because he understands what people are saying. He understands the ridiculousness of even his actions when he's not murdering people and where it comes from for a character who is basically, you know, I don't know, could be a, you know, a Pennywise or some other planet. It could be a supernatural ghost or whatever it may be. You don't know. So it's like, it's just so weird to think about where those lines cross. Another comparison I really wanted to mention during the whole Terrifier section is the way that Terrifier and Terrifier 2 have developed did remind me of, and this, this may sound outlandish, but hear me out, Terminator and Terminator 2. Because you've got this sequel that really does build upon the mythos of that character, that it, they really took a longer take and a longer view into this world. And it doesn't quite go as far as turning Art into a good guy, but... No, you know, obviously there, there's just some parallels. Well, uh, I will honestly say, and I don't know, and I'll try to be as vague as I can as to not give it away for people who haven't seen it yet. Well, even before they, you know, this comes out, you know, cause this, this will be out before the movie comes out, but I don't, I don't, who knows when people can listen to it, but um, 
I don't know if it was just me maybe missing something early on where they said something, because at one point I started to think if they were going to try and turn it into where Art was their father. Oh, I didn't, I actually didn't think of that. When they first mentioned him, I don't know what happened. I don't know if I just misheard something or my attention got pulled away or whatever it was. I missed kind of a little bit of the story. I mean, it, it's clear, it's clear what happens and they make clear later on too. But at the time, so I started to, are they going to try and make it where Art is their dad? I mean, there's still, there's still a lot of room for various things to occur because this is, it's not all of the answers. Not all the answers have been- There's no answers, really. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I like that. And also, it was very interesting to have such a lengthy mid credit sequence, but it's worth it considering where it's bringing things to and also bringing Chris Jericho into the mix because yeah. that was a lot of fun. It was funny because he's listed so high on the credits on both the film and like on IMDb and all this other stuff. I thought I missed him. Was he in the movie? Did I see him? I don't remember. And then, then you get it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like sort of what Marvel pulls these days, where it's like you'll see a name in the credits, and it's like, wait a minute, I don't remember seeing them in the. Oh, oh the post credit scenes coming up. They're going to be in there. I also like. I was looking something up, and I guess I had seen like the IMDb page. Uh, not the IMDb page. It was just like the Google thing where you know where it puts people's pictures and said these people are in the movie, and for some reason it lists Jason Lively in the movie, who. I, I didn't see anywhere. And for those who don't know Jason Lively, he is one of the Lively siblings, you know, Blake Lively and and Robin Lively. But, you know, he was Russ in, in National Lampoon's European vacation, if you want to know what he looks like. And I don't think he's in the movie. I don't saw his name. I didn't see him, but... Where did you see the, where did you see the credit? That was on Google is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, that, there you go. Google, IMDb, those are always really fun for the credits. However, I did... There is someone that I did notice from... Uh, horror films of the past she's sort of a, she has a very short oh you know where i'm going with this i saw felicia rose as the principal yeah yeah like, oh felissa rose sorry felissa yeah, yeah, yeah. as the principal uh you may know her as angela from sleepaway camp uh an another film we may have to throw in here because i don't know that's getting a lot of play recently though a lot of people are rediscovering that thing it's been it's been talked about a lot so i don't know we'll have to talk about that this is this is the this is the thought process that we go through, ladies and gentlemen. This is exactly it. If you've done a YouTube video on something, we may not cover it. Well, look, I'll be honest with you. I, I am... don't see who framed Roger Rabbit as an overdue rental per se. I do think it's definitely geared more toward that direction than some other films out there. But I still think maybe because it was so seminal. Um, but then again, there are a lot of young viewers who have never seen it and it doesn't get, it still gets mentioned places, but it doesn't get mentioned as much, but I guess it played such a big part in my mind. I never saw of it that way. Yeah, see, that's that's exactly why I think it still plays because th th this, this was something that for us, it was so big. It was something that, that like no one could stop talking about. It won an, a special achievement Academy Award and they don't give those out a lot, or at least in, in the visual effects world. Like this was like really like an outstanding achievement sort of thing. Yeah, and again, as this was something just like, I don't know if it was exactly the same thing David was talking about because I do remember on HBO seeing a behind the scenes special about all the stuff when getting it made. But like that was, you know, you couldn't turn a, you couldn't turn a blind eye. With, you'd always see everybody talking about who framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, I, and the, the, seriously, you look at the, the, the film's imprint now and it's kind of, it really is shocking that Robert Zemeckis himself feels like, well, you know, Disney's not into Roger Rabbit at this point. But meanwhile, this was a film that in contemporary money, you made this for 50.6 million. They got 351.5 million back on this. Yeah. And that's, that's saying something considering, you know, well, I mean, the market today, you could easily open a cartoon, no problem. But the 80s was was definitely one of those wilderness eras for cartoons, Disney included, because let's not forget, you know, the Black Cauldron happened years earlier. Don Bluth splits from Disney and, and starts doing things like Secret of Nim and An American Tale, where it's like, th th this is more than just, oh, well, gosh, we're going to go down to the farm and, you know, sing a couple songs. Like Disney up until, what was it, 89 with Little Mermaid? was sort of, it, they were coast, kind of coasting on re-releases and, and a couple things here and there. 
Well, you know, it's also funny too, going back to talking about Robert Zemeckis, because again, I, I always know Robert Zemeckis made Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but it's one of those instances where people talk about Robert Zemeckis and they start talking about all of his films. At that point, you forget to mention Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It always comes up as Back to the Future first. Contact gets bigger play now than than a lot of other stuff. And then you go, you know, you go into stuff like um like Gump, uh, Forrest Gump, that is, excuse me, I shouldn't just say Gump. Uh, um, you know, and, and even like what lies beneath and stuff like that, or even Death Becomes Her. Wait, what was like was was, that, was what, what what lies beneath was Zemeckis, right? I didn't make yes. that up. Yes. Yeah, okay, good. Yes. I, that I, one I is definitely that, overdue. To doubt myself. But like who frame Roger Rabbit comes like late on the list because you kind of forget that he made it, even though, like, especially at that time, with the idea that Zemeckis is always interested in doing the whole what can I do with my special special effects, you kind of forget that it was him. Yeah, I mean, I can only you know that if Roger Rabbit was done now, it would be a it would be in the volume, it would be very much mocap. I would be interested to see how that would change things, but at the same time, there's just it's it's a combination of people that knew how to interact with effects, and it was a combination of really good practical effects. Like this is something. Still to this day, one of the reasons that Brendan Fraser is one of my favorite actors is because he knew how to act against those effects in the Mummy movies, in Looney Tunes, back in action, which is another movie that's definitely overdue for discussion. Well, we'll talk about that another time because what's more important is the fact that that wasn't a norm at that time. And Bob Hoskins was like, I, what? what is going, what are we doing? Like, you know, like he saw, I remember, I think it was like, is this one of those ones where he signed on and like, he knew what he was in for, but in the same breath, he, he gets there and he's like, I, I don't, I don't know how this is going to be. This is going to, this is going to fail. Yeah. That kind of, it almost kind of sounds like another Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. Movie <laughs> went absolutely right. Oh boy. But again, just uh, Bob Hoskins is so adept. At, at flitting about through these different various volumes of character and morality that you believe Eddie as a drunken scoundrel, but then you also believe him as trying to redeem himself and, and wising up. Like it Let's, wasn't like, it's it's the, the beauty of a character actor because it wasn't like he's just sitting there and it's like, oh, like maybe if you knew Bob Hoskins from like The Long Good Friday or Mona Lisa at that point, it's like, oh, oh, he's clearly going to just be a, a shit heel through the whole movie. And yeah. then- he makes that turn. But then Listen, between this and Hook, kids were enamored with him. But this is this is the movie that really brought him to American audiences, I think, you know, compared to, you know, granted, he had a name for himself, but this is what brought him to not just American audiences, I guess you can call it the worldwide audience for the most part. But that's also where the character, because whether if Bob Hoskins is coming into it going like, I don't understand what we're doing. I don't know how this is going to come out. I don't like it plays into the, the character's own arc because he is that sour, you know, just does not want to deal with this kind of stuff. And then when you can finally get to the end and he's getting he's getting into it because he has to do it, it's like, oh, it's glory. Here we go. We know what's happening. Hurrah. <laughs> hurrah. Hurrah, hurrah, however you say it. it. This is still a film that is akin to alchemy for me because even you just watch it now and it does not... It ages well. It it just is sterling. Can like, I? Can I? Sorry. Can I just get clarification? When you say alchemy, are you talking about the actual art of alchemy, or are you talking about a movie that I'm unaware of? No, the art of alchemy. Okay. No, yeah, no. It's just okay. it, just making it, sure because I got lost there for a second. The film is magic. The film continues to be magic, and you know you can know all of this. It's one of those movies where it can. No, it is not the Anthony Hopkins film <laughs> magic that Sam Raimi we just learned is going to be remaking. <laughs> just want to make sure we were talking about that an actual you know hocus pocus magic, not hocus pocus, uh, hocus pocus movies, two, uh, which is available. Hocus pocus two came out, but but the idea of abracadabra magic, <laughs> not abracadabra, the Steve Miller band song, but actual. Yeah, that they use in, in, in the movie with Steve Carell, uh, the amazing Burt Wonderstone, uh, just magic. But not the we, we could have kept going, people. We have to stop eventually. We could have kept going, I'm sure. We could have made that change just and forever. And that was not planned. We swear on our lives that was not planned. No, that was beautiful improv. And uh, we can partially thank uh, director, writer Josh Rubin for that because of the fact that uh, before we came on air, 
he tweeted and we saw that Sam Raimi is directing a remake of Magic, apparently. And uh, if Josh is on our list, which we want to do an episode on for a long time now. Yes, we do. And uh, we also really want Josh Rubin on here to talk about a little film called Dark Man, because I I think we've both seen it and have feelings on it. And he apparently is someone that feels a certain way about it. Uh, So, Mr. Rubin, if you do happen to listen to this, please, your people can call our people. In all fairness, though, we should also say that, yes, it was Josh Rubin's tweet that alerted it to us, but it was a bloody disgusting article that... Uh, you know, broke the news, I guess you could say. Oh, yes. And wasn't Bloody Disgusting a producer on Terrifier 2? You know what? I wasn't looking. For some reason, I want to say Bloody Disgusting was because I know that they are involved with film productions. But yes, yes, I, it looks like they were. They did uh, help produce the film after all. And uh, which is kind of cool considering that was that was one of the sites that helped bring me up as a, a burgeoning internet mm. Well, yeah. I was, uh, I, yeah. <laughs> magic. Fuck you! It's magic. That was my favorite. <laughs> that was a um. I can't remember the stand-up comedian's name now. I'm sure if I look it up, I can find it. But my brother and I, when we were kids, that was our favorite thing. He would basically be a, a sham magician, but he was a comedian, so he'd come up, and he'd just do a card trick. He's like, "You wonder why I do that? Fuck you! It's magic." <laughs> I want to say that's the amazing Jonathan. But no, it's not the amazing Jonathan. I I I, I would know if it was amazing Jonathan. It was somebody else. Yeah. I'm just throwing spaghetti against the wall here. Very bloody spaghetti and hoping that it it works, you know. Do you think, and I, I don't mean to like jump back to Terrifier again now. Jump back to whatever you want. It's the flow do of the conversation, think, baby. Do you think it did its job in holding a candle to the blood and gore from the first one? Do you, oh. think they, do you think they outtop themselves? Do you think they, they top themselves this time? Or do you think that it was actually in some ways just just as, just more of it, but not as maybe inventive, we'll say? And I'm not saying that's how I feel. I'm just wondering. That's, oh, no, that's that's just tough because on one hand, I want to say that they they equaled it. But then when you get into that last stretch, like that, po- that mid-credit sequence, I feel that was like, okay, <laughs> so hear me out. 11th hour, we've got this mid-credit sequence how about we do and then that happens you know it's funny and because talking about the mid-credit sequence or the you know just the credits we'll call the credit sequence at this point um if you were to if you were to ask me that's this that's the section where it turned where it officially turned into Chucky territory in the terms of where it tries to go with its stories. Like, yes, it was wild and out there in the first place, but it's at that point, it's at that point where you go like, all right, I see, I see what they're really going with this kind of stuff in terms of, again, where you see the evolution of Chucky through his films. Um, this is kind of where it reached that territory for me. Yeah. And again, this is, this really does feel like watching one of those franchises that we've known and loved so much catching fire with people and starting to become its own thing. Like maybe the last, the last time I remember this happening was obviously Saw, but it wasn't so much Jigsaw, but the traps and the lore around mm, Jigsaw. Yeah. Like Jigsaw was a very stoic character, but the traps and the lore and the backstory were what really built up. It wasn't like Chucky or or Freddy Krueger, where the character was yeah. really what the films hung their hook on, or uh, hung their hats on, and then it just everything else kind of built around that. This is where I hang my claws on. But no, that's the funny, and that's that's the the super interesting, uh, super interesting thing too. Since this caught all caught on with Terrifier, even though the character played by a different person existed for a fair amount of time beforehand. That's also really interesting. I mean, look, we still live in a world where uh, an American played James Bond before it caught on and became a huge film franchise. An American played James Bond. What am I? What am I missing? The nineteen fifty three Casino Royale. Oh, was- oh, I thought you were talking about. I got you. I'm sorry. I forgive me. I thought you were talking about. So I thought I I took it in a different term sorry i gotcha sorry 1954 yeah because they they switched the characters 
And Barry Nelson, uh, the manager from The Shining, was uh, James Bond, or card-sharp Jimmy Bond, as they call him later on. Well, you know, the guy loves playing cards. I don't know what accents I was doing there. That's, that was weird. That almost sounded like Dana Carvey's church lady. Well, the boy loves playing cards. He likes playing cards, yeah. Yeah, so. Wasn't that stash? <sighs> How we got onto that after all this, I don't know. But with that, people, that's your cue. <laughs> to go cross Terrifier and, of course, Terrifier 2 as it comes out off your overdue rentals list. Make sure you go on Disney Plus and see Who Framed Roger Rabbit if you haven't yet. Cross that off your overdue rentals list. And then come back to us. Tell us what you thought. Exactly. And if you do want to see Terrifier, Terrifier is currently streaming on Tubi. Yeah. As well as other services, I believe. But I caught it on Tubi, and I still think that their ad breaks are A-plus when it comes to pre-programming. And Terrifier 2 will be heading to a theater near you October 7th, I believe. I've, I've seen listings as early as the 6th. Yeah. Yeah, so that's real soon, uh, as well as uh, just a quick sidebar. Um, since we are in the Halloween season, uh, Trick or Treat is finally getting a theatrical release. 21st, I think. Was it the 21st? No, I've seen it as early as... It's, it's, it's like a syndication deal where like I've seen it as early as the 2nd. And October 6th is what like, a regal by me is playing. Oh. But well, everybody go back and listen to our episode about trick or treat as well. Oh yeah. Because you know, the funny thing about that is 60 something episodes in, you can find us on plenty of places on the internet. You know, where we, you can, you can find us. Where can on, people find us, Mike? Oh yes. Well, it, it has to, that, that's when it's official. That's when Matthew asks me because you can find us on TikTok and Instagram at Overdue Rentals Show, on Twitter at Rentals Overdue, and on Facebook at Overdue Rentals. And if you want to email us love letters, suggestions, uh, titles for the Art the Clown installment that eventually goes to space, it, it probably has to be the fourth one because that's usually how it goes. You can send all of that to our personal email box at overdurentals at gmail.com and trust us, we read it because that's how we get such wonderful invites and screener links that say, hey, you want to watch Terrifier 2? To which we say, yes. <laughs> and then we're still processing it in our heads days later. But- I wonder where that laugh came from. That's, the, that's a Krusty the Clown laugh. <laughs> but while you're on the internet, because you can find so much out there, including probably like a clip reel of, of the most horrifying Terrifier kills, you can find us wherever you ethically source your podcasts. And we're not breaking out hacksaws here. We're not dipping tunes, but we will gladly play tunes for you if we can ever afford licensing. But until then, you can find our show at Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, somewhere, you know. I mean, I bet Art the Clown listens to our show, but he can never disprove it because he can't talk. And if he did, it would ruin the magic. So really that's just... Uh, th- that's that's another t-shirt right there. It's like Art the Clown endorses overdue rentals, like, along with Spit, Art the Clown, Terrifier 2, 2022. But obviously, you you may be rolling your eyes by now. You want to get to you want to get out the door. That's fine. You know, we personally like having you here, and we like knowing what you want to hear from us. So with that, there is one last caveat. We want you to rate, review, and subscribe to the show so the Overdue Rentals counter can stay open and we know what candies and jump scares you prefer. But friends, family, listeners, I think it is time for us to pack up this old circus tent and see where next week takes us. So until then, blah bye